All right, if you have your Bible this morning, just very briefly, turn to Matthew chapter 12. We're talking about atmosphere this morning. We're in a series called Atmosphere, and last week we were talking about the atmosphere of unity, the atmosphere of unity. We've already talked about the atmosphere of prayer, and now we're talking about the atmosphere of unity. Again, I think Pastor Dietrich did a great job last week in explaining that. Um, We're talking about the atmosphere of unity, and how many know that God is into unity and not disunity. Amen. In James, it says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, not some of his ways. Why? Because if your mind is divided on things, you'll never be stable. You'll never be together. And the thing that blows me away about that scripture in James is that God said, A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So if you're double-minded in one area of your life, every area of your life then becomes unstable. Isn't that amazing? How important it is for us to be in unity even with ourselves. We're talking about bringing an atmosphere of this unity. So what are we talking about? Atmosphere. Atmosphere is a word that speaks to the pervading tone or mood of a place or situation. In fact, atmosphere, the atmosphere that you're in, the atmosphere that you create or that others create and that you are in can affect your attitude, your demeanor, and even your outlook. What you believe your future to be can be affected by the atmosphere that you're in. And so we're not just talking about the atmosphere around the earth, but we're talking about the pervading tone or the mood that we find ourselves in. And as a church and as Christians, what pervading tone or what mood do we want to find ourselves in? Well, here is our desired atmosphere. It is one that is conducive for a move of the Spirit of God. In other words, we have to have an atmosphere that's welcoming to God, that he is comfortable in coming in and moving as he will. In our atmosphere, we have to have an atmosphere that is attractive to the lost, folks. We can't be high and mighty, stuffy church people that have our own vernacular and we speak in tongues and we do these things and we have our own way of talking and we never attract the lost. Well, we know all the scriptures. Come on. We know how to talk. We know how to pray. But if we never attract the lost, They were not fulfilling the plan and the will of God. You see, when Jesus went to attract the lost, he never changed himself who he was. But he sure did go to Matthew's house and he sat with some sinners and some publicans. Come on, somebody. He was in their midst. Now, it didn't change him, but he came and changed the atmosphere. And so we have to have an atmosphere that attracts the lost. That doesn't mean we need to compromise and be like the world. But it does mean we don't need to be so stuffy sometimes. All right, we can sing some fun songs sometimes. Come on, we can laugh at jokes sometimes. We can have some skits, right? The kids can be involved. We can do some things that attract the lost. We need to have an atmosphere that's prepared for the hurt to be healed. We need to be ready. What if you got hurt? You know, like I, I, you know, had that seizure or if you fell down and broke your leg or cut yourself and, you know, you got taken to the hospital by the ambulance and you got to the ER and they said, oh, boy, you have a knife stuck in your leg. And they said, okay, well, just go sit down. We got to prepare the emergency room to get ready to bring you in so that we can work on you. You'd be thinking, well, this is not a very good emergency room, wouldn't you? 
It's not prepared to heal the hurt. And so for us as a church and as Christians, we have to be prepared at all times for those who are hurt to be healed. We have to be, have an atmosphere that is encouraging for the gifts of the Spirit to flow. We have to allow God to do what he wants to do. After all, as Elder Carter says often, it's all about him. It's not about us. Come on, somebody. So how do you know you have a spiritual atmosphere? A spiritual atmosphere is marked by these things. One, the presence of God. If the presence of God is there, well, then you have a spiritual atmosphere. The Holy Spirit moving, right? Transformation happens. People are changed. People are saved even during greeting time. There's an open heaven. Come on. A river flowing. And there's some power that takes place atmosphere that's the atmosphere that we want and we're talking about the atmosphere of unity and the importance of it now last week she talked a lot about what the atmosphere of unity brings all I want to do is share with you very briefly here today the destructive atmosphere of division because being together and being on one accord we know listen you remember many of you remember in Genesis 11 when the people of the earth all spoke how many languages? One language. They came together and they were building a tower under heaven. And God himself said, look, if we don't go down and break this thing up, they are going to accomplish what they set out to accomplish. And not only did he say that, he said there will be nothing impossible to them. Nothing impossible. Why? Because they prayed seven times a day? No. Why? Because they read their scriptures 14 times a day? No. Because they were on one accord. They were in unity together. God had to come down and break it up. And so we know that when we're together, there's nothing that we cannot accomplish. But when we're not together, when we're divided, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. Jesus said this, Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself say every kingdom he didn't say some kingdoms he didn't say most kingdoms but he said every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation every city or house divided against itself will not stand and they accused him earlier he said well it's just he's just of the devil casting out himself and he said, if Satan casts out Satan, is he divided against himself? How then will his kingdom stand? I want to tell you something. As a family, as a church, we will not stand if we are divided. There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 10, where Paul used, we, we translated the word where it says Paul pleaded. Uh, but really this Greek word, it, it really depicts Paul getting down on his knees almost and just begging with tears in his eyes. He pleaded with the brethren. He pleaded with them that you all be of one mind, be of the same mind, and that there be no divisions among you. He pleaded with them. Why? Because they had they had all of the spiritual things together. You know, they had it. They read scripture. They did church all the time. 
but they sort of had a party atmosphere. They didn't have the, the fullness of what the responsibility that God put on their shoulders was. They didn't understand that this thing, walking with the Lord, preaching the gospel, saving the lost, this is a huge responsibility. This is not something to be toyed with. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have fun. It's something totally different. But when your mind toward that thing is a thing where, oh, it's just something that I do. I just go to church on Sunday. No, God said this is not what you do. This is who you are. And until you understand that, Paul, he pleaded with them and he begged them, please be of one mind. So can I tell you something this morning? God is pleading with us. Life Church and the church as a whole. I mean, how many denominations, don't get me started on that. How many denominations do we have? I'm not coming against it. I mean, listen, we preach Jesus. So listen, hey, preach Jesus and he died on the cross. Hey, listen, I'm for you and I'm with you. My point, though, is how, what could we accomplish if we listen to God through Paul saying, let there be no divisions among you and be of the same. Now, the same mind means the same mind. It doesn't mean the same mind in terms of the cross, but all these other things you can have different ideas about. The same mind means the same mind. And it means God's mind, not ours. So Paul pleaded with them, be together. Why did he do that? Because he knew that that church at Corinth wouldn't stand much longer if they continued to be divided. Listen to some of these scriptures. Listen to what Paul told the Romans in Romans chapter 16. He said, now I urge you, brethren, another one of those words where he's pleading, I urge you, brethren, and he's telling us this this morning, note those who cause division and offenses. See who they are. Contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and this is what he said, avoid them. Stay away from them. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, he said, For you, are you still carnal? For where they are envy, strife, and divisions, are they among you? Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? If you fall into this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, First of all, when you come together as a church, listen now, he told the Corinthians, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. Want to know why? Because it brings fruit. It brings fruit. Just like good works bring fruit, division brings fruit. You can tell. You ever seen, you ever seen a couple, maybe a couple that comes in church or maybe a couple at work, you know, a married couple or maybe a boyfriend and a girlfriend, and you see them and, uh, you know, you kind of greet them and maybe you talk to them or maybe you're over their house for dinner and uh, something in the atmosphere, you just know something's, may not be right between these two you know maybe they had an argument now they're smiling you know and they're saying all the right things praise the lord everything's going well this morning but there's just something there you know because maybe you you've been married for a while uh, yourself and you you can kind of tell you know uh, you guys are arguing on the way to church this morning a little bit you aren't agreeing you know type of thing it's just in the atmosphere and you see, when that thing happens, you can try to cover it up. That's what the Corinthian church did. But it's in the atmosphere. It creates an atmosphere of division. And so though we may try to cover those things up in the church, we have to go to the root, Sister Jody. Come on. But she teaches. We got to go to the root to fix these things and come together in unity. 
Titus 3.10, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. In other words, give him a break and admonish him. Look, don't be doing that. Don't come in here causing divisions. You know, don't be offended and don't cause offenses. Don't do that, right? Admonish him a couple times. And after that, says reject him. Said, no, you're not going to be in ministry. You're going to sit down. You're not going to do, uh, you know, what you were doing last week. And then Galatians 5.20 says idolatry. Listen to some of these words. Sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies. All these things come as a result of divisions. Talk a lot of, I talk a lot about this simply because it's happened to me a lot in my life. Uh, you know, anybody know the term mountain out of a molehill? You ever heard that term? Some of you, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. I really believe that the smallest crack, the smallest little division can cause this phenomenon, mountain out of a molehill. Really, it's happened to me in my life where something has happened or someone has caught, come and told me, you know, your friend, you know, said this about you. And then all of a sudden, maybe he didn't mean it that way. You know, but in my mind, it starts, my wheels start turning. And then if I don't talk to him or call him, you know, it's three months later. Maybe I haven't talked to him. And then all of a sudden, I'm way over here. You know, well, we were never friends anyway. And he tried to steal my girlfriend in high school. And, you know, you start coming up with all this stuff. You know, and all, you know, all he said was he didn't like your shoes or whatever it was. And you've made a mountain out of a molehill. And it happens in churches. We do it. We make a mountain out of what could easily be fixed if you just go to your brother, like the Bible says, and see what's going on here. Mountains out of a molehill. Division is something that divides. It separates. It marks off. It keeps apart. It is a, a disagreement. It's, it's discord. It's all of those things. You know, Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 12, 25, he uses this word, schism, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Here's what this word means. In the Greek, it means to tear apart, to rip, and to ruin. And this is what the enemy wants to do with us, wants to tear apart, to rip, and to ruin. One of the biggest things in the church that causes divisions is unresolved offenses. Do you realize that most church splits, if you really look at it, I've kind of been studying this a little bit going back, and uh, a lot of times church splits, you see that, and you, you go, well, dang, they just didn't agree. You know, they didn't agree on their doctrine. Do you know that a lot of church splits do not come down to the fact that they didn't agree on doctrine? You know, it wasn't the fact that somebody all of a sudden uh, started preaching that Jesus really didn't die on the cross or the Bible's not altogether true or anything like that. It comes from really small offenses. He doesn't do things exactly the way I like them. So, uh, you know, it turns into a big thing and we divide and separate. Unresolved offenses is such a big thing. This Hebrew word for that means to catch in a snare. That's what it means. When you have an unresolved offense, what it means is that the enemy has caught you in a snare. You ever thought about that? The enemy has caught you in a snare when you refuse to resolve offenses one for another. But Psalm 124.7 says, Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. That's what happens when you resolve your offenses. Resolve your offenses. And let me just 
finish with this. You know how I am with all these points. Let me just quickly give you nine signs for unity. And then I'll follow up that with my 25 points. No, just these, these nine signs, all right, <laughs> for a unity atmosphere problems, things that you'll see. Number one is strained relationships. You see that in, in, in church. I'm talking about church here, but it could be in our personal lives as well, in our families. Come on, we know these things happen in families. Who's got the perfect family? Anybody? Somebody? Okay, all right. She's prophesying. All right. Sister Karen, too. All right. She's prophesying. Right? <laughs> strained relationships. What about resisting authority? When you see that a lot, um, it, you know, it, it's, it's bad news. It's bad news in anything. It's bad news in a company. Uh, certainly bad news in the military, right? And it's bad news in church. God has things set up the way he has them set up for a reason, even if we don't agree with everything. Okay, move on. And what about drift from and ultimately leave the local church? When you see people, that, that really results from offenses. You know, you get offended and you drift to another church. And here's the secret I want to tell you about that if that's what you're thinking about doing. You go to another church, I guarantee you there's an offense waiting for you there. Okay? I mean, just some, you know, there's something. If, if you're offended and you want to leave the church, there's probably an offense waiting for you there. And then when you leave that church, guess what? Yeah, there's one waiting for you at the next one as well. We got to get over it. What about strongholds of vain imaginations? This is what I was just talking about, how we make a mountain out of a molehill. Look, cast those imaginations before Christ. You know, pray. I tell you what, even before you go to resolve an offense sometimes, pray before you go there and give that person a piece of your mind because if you're like me, you don't really have a lot to give. And so you want to save as much as you can. And so you need to pray before you go and talk to that person and straighten this thing out. God will give you what to say. What about constant satanic harassment? Here's where I'm coming from with this one. I'm not saying that... It's not like the devil will not harass us. It's, if you're being harassed by the devil, you're not in unity. It's not what I'm saying, but here's what I'm saying is, you know the scripture, nor give place to the, nor give him place. I'm talking about when we give the devil place, when we have unresolved offenses, when we don't straighten things out, when we know there's somebody we should go to and straighten the thing out and we don't. We are giving a foothold to the devil. What about a river of the Holy Spirit? within you dries up. I wrote this one down. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like, well, I just kind of feel spiritually dry. You know, maybe I'm, uh, you know, maybe I've been all over Ireland and nobody's listening to me and I just kind of feel tired. Not that I don't want to be saved anymore, you know. And uh, what happens is at that point, if we don't continue to push through and praise God for who he is, come on, and not for what he's done or what he's doing in our lives, we'll get dried up spiritually. And we'll begin to turn our back on some things spiritually. What about bitterness spreads within your life? Attitudes, emotions, and anger. Bitterness always grows and always causes trouble. And it always defiles others. We need to get over bitterness. Hebrews 12, 15, looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. Number eight, what about a critical fault-finding person? You ever been there? I've been there. I've been there. Just ask my wife, you know. But this person, that, that critical fault-finding attitude can turn into a divisive attitude. 
You know, a person that says, well, I just, I just see things how they are, and I'm going to let them know. You know, well, this is true, but what is your attitude toward that thing, right? Here's some, here's some things. Are you an expert at finding fault with others? Do you find yourself in that category? Do you like to keep a list of people's faults? Do you think cynical is normal? Do you think sarcasm is a social grace? Then you might be a fault-finding person. Are you pessimistic about other people's projects? Well, I know that ain't going to work. All right. Listen, if somebody wants to know that this, if this thing is going to work or not, and they just feel like it's not going to work, are you the first person they call so that you can tell them it's not going to work? Is that you? Are you, at better, are you uh, better at criticizing than others? Do you think a massive dose of criticism is a solution? If you have any of these things, you could be a person who is a fault-finding person, and that thing will lead to divisions in the church. And lastly, what about listening to an evil report? We don't want to listen to evil reports. You know, people have a lot of things to say about others, but one of the things we need to do, and I really believe we do it here at this church, is, you know, if somebody comes and tells me something about someone else, I, I either need to go talk to that person, right, about it and straighten it out, or I know that person well enough to say, listen, you know what, I know them, and if they did do that, then they made a mistake. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'll straighten it out with them, but I'm not going to start spreading rumors. I'm not going to say, ooh, I didn't know that they did that. I can't wait to tell Brother Keith, you know, what Mike did, you know. And then Keith goes, oh, my goodness. And he calls himself an organ player. He's supposed to be on the organ. Oh, wait till I tell Forrest, you know. And you just start spreading things all around. But that's not who we are. That's not who we are. Go to that person. And if there is a fault there, go to your brother. Go to your brother. Let him know. Listen, you can't be doing that. You're supposed to be playing the organ. Straighten it up. Or I'm going to give you one of these chicken wings. All right? Straighten up. Well, we talked about Genesis 11 where the whole earth spoke one language. The people were in such unity until the Lord said, indeed, uh, the people are one and they all have one language. And this is uh, what they began to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Listen, if we as a church, the life church and the church as a whole, can get together with this God kind of unity, there will be absolutely nothing impossible to us. Folks, there will be nothing impossible to us.